I'm Will Hedrick. And I'm Jordan Schaffer. And this is Dog Ears and Timestamps, a book club podcast. We're solving this mystery. Solving it. Yeah. It's getting done next week. Next week. But dude, we're, we're, we're getting started. We're solving it. We're solving we it. We solved it. We know exactly <laughs> who all is involved and what happened. We don't even need to finish the book. We're going to yeah. give you all the answers in this episode. <laughs> so stay tuned. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. How was your week? Well, what'd you do? When'd you read? I worked and I read last night. Nice. The same story <laughs> same as, as ever. <laughs> yeah, dude. This, this book's been very consistently making me do that, dude. Just last yeah. day before. There's times that I'm of... not like super excited to get to it like in previous books that we've read. Mm-hmm. So I'm not like, all right, well, I'll read 30 minutes tonight and then I can, you know, read 30 minutes tomorrow or anything like mm-hmm. that. It's just like... And then, you know, being busy with other things and all that sort of stuff that it just ends up piling up towards the end. And like one night I'll put it off. I'll be like, I don't want to read it tonight. Yeah. And then the next night I've got something I have to do. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like the night before. I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to read it all. <laughs> I have to do this, yeah. Well, cool, yeah. Um, so last night, I guess, um, did you read like before bed? Yeah, yeah. I knew that I was going to have to read it all. So when I got home from work, I made dinner, ate that, and then read. Just the rest of the night? Yeah. Nice. It took me about, it took me about maybe three hours. Okay, yeah. So wasn't so bad. Cool. And the notes today at uh, yeah, I did notes at work. Time. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, dude. Same story for me. I, I was busy all weekend. I went out uh, to the ranch, went hunting, which is cool. Yeah, just normal work week though. Other than that, and then I literally l- listened to the book today. Not one hundred percent sure. Well, I'm one hundred percent sure I didn't stop in the right spot because I didn't know where <laughs> the right spot was to stop. So I actually do know what happened. But I'm not going to give any spoilers. Okay. So, <laughs> but it was uh, it was awesome. I mean, I, I listened to it um, today twice, and I'm going to listen to the whole thing. You know, mm-hmm. the whole book. You know, it's a whole chunk um, for this next next yeah. episode. I think mm-hmm. that'll be good to wrap it all up and give me a good yeah, solid foundation. Yeah, it's definitely better. Yeah, no, than, it's, it's or it's more engaging. Yeah, that's that's a better way to say it because it was always interesting. Like learning about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was has been interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the mind behind Sherlock Holmes, like learning that like he's uh he's got his own little scandal that he's trying to hide and yet like still trying to do right by everybody and he's not even nobody even judges him for this guy. I don't know, yeah, it's seemingly just, nobody cool. yeah. cares yeah it's just it's uh, at least internally everybody that we see and that mm-hmm. he talks to and that matters to him doesn't judge him at all yeah it doesn't they're like you know what you're doing your thing we get it yeah we've seen it a million times mm-hmm there's a couple of times that some of his family says, like, you got to be careful in public because other people <laughs> might not think the same thing that we do. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, he's going through all this effort for everybody's sake and nobody gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of, yeah, like you said, it's interesting. It's, it's it, interesting to have seen and learned and read everything so far. just yeah. hasn't been super engaging. Yeah, and then with uh, George, um, I'm sure I'm going to say his last name, Adelgie. Yeah, with him, he he's just been... Like, at the beginning, I feel like when we were talking about him, we thought he was on the scale of autism. And then just, like, as we meet him and go on, it doesn't even... It seems like he doesn't really have any social barrier. It seems less like it. Yeah, it yeah. seems like, like very prominent in, in his backstory. And then it doesn't mm-hmm. seem obvious at all in... Uh, I mean, it talks about... And it can yeah. very well just be... This is something I was considering while I was reading last night as well. Because mm-hmm. Arthur doesn't say anything about it. 
whenever he first meets him, not in his like internal mm-hmm. like assessment of right. George. Because whenever he first meets him at the hotel, yeah, that was cool. He holds off for a second to sort of observe him and get an idea. Yeah, and notices that his eyes are probably fucked up because of the mm-hmm. way he's holding the newspaper super close and turned. <laughs> he's like, okay, well, I know what that is. Yeah, and then throughout the interaction with him, there's never any mention of George being like, man, he is odd, or mm-hmm. you know, even if they didn't have a definition for autism or Asperger's or anything back then. He doesn't even say anything like that where he's yeah. like, he's strange or yeah, he has, he's socially awkward mm-hmm. or anything like that. Yeah. Which then kind of, now that he's become an adult, maybe George has learned mm-hmm. those social ineptitudes that he had and like come over them. Yeah. And which leads to just like, he wasn't homeschooled, but he didn't go out in public ever. Like he mentions during right. his conversation with George, with Arthur. It wasn't a huge and, town, right, either, that he was in? It yeah. It like a pretty small he just one, like but he's close to... Evidently just went to school yeah. and came home. They didn't mix with the public, so he didn't have anybody to talk to except his family. Yeah. So, I don't think this, it was necessarily his intent to stay at home, but I think he got stuck I think home. he had no interest in, at least yeah. whenever he was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the first chapter, we know that he had no interest mm-hmm. in meeting anybody else or doing anything. He was fine just living his life at home. Yeah. Uh, and, and then whenever he gets a little bit older, he wants to kind of move out. But I think he wants to move out, one, because he has the itch of, like, I've never been away. Yeah. And he's got, like, some discrepancy with Mm -hmm. his parents' religion now. He doesn't really feel that a lot of that is what he once thought it was. So he's like, well, I'm going to continue living at a church, having Mm -hmm. to do this when I don't really believe in it. Yeah, that's got to be pretty interesting because it's even kind of hard at a, like on a smaller level just doing that in your own life with your parents like it can be depending on like who your parents i have friends who still lie to their parents Mm -hmm. about them either believing or not believing and whatever yeah Yeah. it's not a problem that i had for a long time when i turned 18 i was just like hey this is how it is i'm not going to church anymore (laughs) yeah and it was definitely kind of a big deal for a week or two there Mm -hmm. Uh, where there was some immediate resistance where they were like, no, you're going to go to church. Yeah. Like, that's just not a thing. And then I just didn't. <laughs> and then I just did it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. in the way that I've done a lot of things, I just did whatever I was going to do. Yeah. And now it's not a problem at all. It's something yeah. that can be openly talked about and accepted and, you know, promoted to some degree. Good. Um, but it is definitely something that's really strange. I can't imagine having to have done that if my father was the preacher. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> it, would, it would probably be lying for sure. Yeah, yeah. that would be... I would like to, well, I guess my whole life would be different. So who knows who I would have been at that point. But I would like to think that me would still be like, no, I'm going to say it. Yeah. It just probably would have taken longer and it probably would have happened in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So, yeah. And so I think that he suffers more from what I call homeschooler syndrome mm-hmm. than from autism. I got you. That makes sense. Because if you've ever met and you have met mm-hmm. homeschoolers, they're just weird. They are a little weird. The way that they think is different. The way that they act with everybody is different. They're just weirdos. And it's yeah. not their fault. It's just that they, they met like five people when they were yeah. growing up. <laughs> they do end up being successful, it seems like, though. I think that they probably are skewed more that way. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have That's a better propensity for focus and things <laughs> like that. Yeah, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, so... Dude, there's just like so many levels to both these guys, and it's uh that's been like fun. It's hard to make that super engaging, I guess, and like without like I don't know making a big deal of like the scandal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know, and and since it all is just sort of like fact, it's not necessarily you can't like doll it up. Too you don't much. want to, yeah. <laughs> too much embellishment will 
maybe take it away from what you're trying to do by, you know, writing this down and making it, you know, a novel or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't know. I feel like as I was thinking about it, as I was reading it uh, with, you know, it now really taking off is that we've already discussed the first chapter is like growing up with them as people so that we can mm-hmm. get to know them because maybe that's, you know, important or at the very least it was, I knew a- nothing about either of them. I, yeah. I, I barely even knew that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle did Sherlock Holmes until like you told me. <laughs> so. Yeah. There was really not too much I knew about him either. I definitely do nothing about George. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so being able to grow up with them in those 60 pages or however many pages there were, mm-hmm. I think is, was valuable and I can, or I can see why it would be valuable to somebody trying to write, a novel about them Mm -hmm. and you know we'll see how valuable that ends up after everything is over you know you know how it can relate or what it added to the experience and then the first chapter is them as adults and i feel like having arthur in there was almost inconsequential Mm -hmm. it was more about experiencing everything that was happening to George with George. Yeah. Because that's what this is all about mm-hmm. is it's all about the, the harassment and then the framing and the trial yeah. and the sentencing. That's what this whole novel is about. And then him becoming exonerated, presumably. So it would be also important to experience that as it's happening with the character it's mm-hmm. happening to. And then, uh, and then we can, having experienced it from his point of view in the same way that he would, we can go through the investigation by Arthur with George. And, you know, it's, I feel like it's a little bit easier or not, maybe not easier, but I think it's an interesting way to look at a mystery novel is to have experienced the problem Mm -hmm. that needs to be solved and then solve it with whoever's going to solve it rather than, in a lot of my experience, you get like in different novels that are written or, you know, mystery movies that mm-hmm. I've watched or shows or whatever, they maybe present you with like the thing that happens at the beginning of the movie. Let's yeah. say like somebody gets murdered. You see like a shadow get murdered like in and then it or cuts yeah. to the detective like in his office and you know whatever and then he's on the the case and he's figuring it out and you're figuring it out at the same time so you don't really experience the crime and mm-hmm. things that led up to the crime so it's just a little bit different yeah, yeah. and uh i don't think i was expecting that at first mm-hmm. and right now i appreciate it we'll see if it pulls together in the way that i hope it does you know where everything ends up having actually been important mm-hmm. and i'm not just hoping that it was important <laughs> that you know yeah, for sure. <laughs> hoping that i didn't spend four episodes of this show Mm-hmm. and you know a bunch of time reading late at night for it to not have mattered right a pretty big mummer. <laughs> but no it uh i think it's coming together really well and i think um yeah i mean it's mm-hmm. it, I, I don't know we'll see, we'll see how it wraps up <laughs> it's hard to see. say yeah. too much without saying too much <laughs> right yeah because it's um yeah it's good it's a fun read and and it'll be more fun to like analyze it all as a whole i think next week yeah yeah so let's get into it dude where did we Mm -hmm. leave off last week so it uh this is a new chapter it's chapter three ending with the beginning it starts with arthur seeing so it you know last chapter ended Mm -hmm. with arthur seeing the letter from george and being like 
and it, you know, kind of dramatically written, and seeing a signature from a person he didn't recognize, something like that. It's like, mm-hmm. Ooh, who's that? Well, it's George. Yeah. And so, and it starts off the chapter being like all grandiose and like, ever since the release of Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had been getting written letters to solve mysteries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh god. So he was like no stranger to requests, and he had declined everything so yeah. far, um, because whatever he wasn't interested didn't think he was actually qualified to do that right, just whatever you can it write was a mystery doesn't mean you can solve a mystery this seems to have come at a sort of perfect time for him where he's just now forcing himself to get over the depression and mm-hmm. the slump of you know life that he was in after Tui dying so he was maybe looking for something to latch on to right reads george's plea and explanation of everything that's happened Decides for himself that George must be innocent. It's plain as day. So he's like, I'm going to fucking do this, man. I wish they would have said, like, in the letter what convinced him right then. Like, ah, plain as day. I get it. Right. And I wonder if it was a specific point mm-hmm. or just the whole picture. Yeah. That Arthur was like, look at all this shit. What the yeah, fuck? Look at all these. Yeah, how did they convict him? <laughs> and so, and maybe he had even, like, kind of in passing heard about what had happened because it had gotten play in the newspapers you know yeah so maybe he saw like you know just like read like half the update every week like oh okay well this is what's happening in that case blah blah blah. and then now he's getting the side from the person who's convicted and it was like well holy shit like you know uh but anyways so he decides he's going to take on the case Mm -hmm. tells his assistant wood that he's going to do so watson you know yeah watson is (laughs) is a so he goes to meet with george yeah they go meet at the Grand Hotel in Charing Cross in London and immediately notices, like we said earlier when we were talking about it, George's got bad eyesight. Takes that second oh. to look at him. Sees that he's holding the paper sideways. He's like, well, shit, you know, he's I, probably got some astigmatism, a little myopy. I liked how that little scene was written, too, because it, it felt kind of like Sherlock Holmesy. Like, he walked into this bar or whatever. Well, mm-hmm. it was the, the, the hotel, so... But I imagine... I imagine this bar <laughs> that he walked right. into, and and uh, there were just like I just imagine a couple groups of people, and 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 he did this like internal dialogue, like analyzing kind of what was going on. Uh, there was like one brown person, so it was kind of easy to pick. Right, he like, immediately <laughs> the, picks him out. Right, and, yeah, and uh, like from India, from where is he from? Do we know? Yes, yeah. He's a so his father is a Parsi, a Parsi okay. who was a. A, a, a group of people that are actually Persian oh, that yeah, fled that area to India because okay. of religious persecution that was happening. Gotcha. So they're Indian now, mm-hmm. but they're immigrants to India that are not in Indian by you know heritage. If you go far I see further you back, yeah. you know. Okay. Uh, George is obviously born in England, as yeah, we know, yeah, yeah. He's but his, that's his father's. Uh, yeah, his father. Yeah, okay. heritage. Yeah, and then all the stuff, just like how he analyzed, like, okay, well, how could he have gotten, like, he saw just, like, in the first few seconds, like, okay, this guy can't see anything. There's no way, if he never had glasses, how is he going to go traipsing through the night to get this, right, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, mutilate all these animals? Like, that's crazy. So just right off the bat, it's almost like he looks, he sees, he's like, okay, I'm right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, go, let's go talk. <laughs> so then, yeah, they go talk, they go hang out in a writing room at the hotel, and Kind of just go over everything. George gives him like you know his whole story, any details that maybe weren't in the letter that he had written, and then they sort of also spend a little bit of time getting to know each other a little bit more. Yeah, asking uh, George asks Arthur if he's a Christian, 
because there's some you know point he wants to make about his father's belief and the way that he's going about everything and thus how George wants to proceed and not be like you know I, I don't want to look at myself as a martyr I don't think I stand for any sort of great foreign agenda nor Christian example yeah and so I don't want any of us to look at it that way I just want my life back I just want to be a solicitor and just you know have my quiet job where I'm useful to the public that's like all I want and I don't want any of that other stuff to be part of it Arthur sort of agrees he's not a Christian but he does have some sort of spiritual belief which we know you know he's into spiritism Mm -hmm. which is some sort of like new age or I guess then new age you know kind of sciencey based turning of you know conventional religion yeah that's pretty cool i kind of wish um i got the little section we talked about earlier that uh, that you got mm, yeah when we were going over notes yeah there's a a section where arthur and gene talk about his spiritism because gene is still catholic yeah and has like heard arthur talk about it a little bit but she's kind of shut him down in mm-hmm. prior conversations like i don't want to talk about that blah blah, yeah. blah and now that they're on the doorstep of getting married she's like we need to talk about this <laughs> Uh, so they, they talk about that a little bit, and it's interesting. It it won't have any bearing on the story, mm-hmm. as far as we're concerned. It'll have bearing on their life, yeah. but it shouldn't matter the case. Um, but it is interesting to hear Arthur talk about it and the way that he thinks about it. Mm-hmm. But So in the conversation in the smoking room, or the smoking room, the writing room, basically all that's all that happens. They get to know each other a bit more. They go over the case, what they each think about it. George is pretty stubborn almost that it's not about race yeah it almost seems like he kind of pushes that like to i don't want to call him ignorant like because it almost seems like it is about race but it's the obvious answer but um uh, but he he makes a lot of really good points about Mm it he's like well somebody else was persecuted i was never persecuted uh, directly or personally in any way that couldn't have been explained by other means like whenever he even uh, calls out the the constable that I can't remember his name that like accosts him a couple times and it's kind of a Gillespie. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, uh, wait, last book. <laughs> yeah, right. He uh, he's like, but I'm sure that dude's just an asshole, and he probably did that to other boys whenever he thought they were being a pain in the ass too. Right? You know, yeah, like, exactly. So like every just being a boy. he can find a good reason for every you know instance that somebody might just immediately think, oh, they're racist. You know. Mm-hmm. So at, at the very least, even. And, and all of those, you know, points that he makes are 50-50 points. Like, they could be like, yeah, you're right. He it probably was nothing. Bit, or it could be racism. Right. Like, you, it, it, it goes either it way. It, gives it another he's, one. Yeah, he's just providing other options because he's being completely level-headed. And the way that he thinks as a man of the law yeah. is like, these are all the different things that could be a possibility and are worth, you know, at least knowing yeah i like the faith he has in his like community too just like it's not about race like these are the people i've been around like they mm-hmm. they know me they've supported me i grew I, they taught me you know like all the people that like, he's oh, done business with him and not giving exactly. him trouble you know he goes to the boot maker he mm-hmm. goes and gets groceries he does that sort of you yeah, know so li- yeah life isn't like hard for him because of his skin color it doesn't seem yeah. like and he's a solicitor which seems like a really hard job to get back then well impossible maybe in it's the, probably in a States, lot of effort probably yeah. in the in the in England and stuff is probably a little bit, I'm sure, racist. Because they weren't, were it, they I mean, racist in England it, back then, maybe? I'm probably sure not. they were. Yeah. I think that at least 
without having done any actual research on it, conventional wisdom tells me that they progressed faster than we did. Right. There's mm-hmm. definitely still racism mm-hmm. in literally every country yeah. of the world. Um, so that's not to say that there's not racist in England and oh, Britain right for now. Sure. Yeah, there. Yeah. But I think as a society. I think that it progressed more quickly than That's what America I would assume. did. It seemed like everything was, ex- at least, especially just even like if it was only a step here, at a time, it, it was still a maybe, couple of steps ahead of us. <laughs> it seemed like at least maybe a generation ahead, like they were mm-hmm. ready to accept multi-race. Like Arthur, as a nobleman, immediately does not care about that, and yeah, it's never no. even something that he thinks about. Just so almost the only that, time he thinks about it is when it's like for the case, and like maybe it was negative for. George. You right, know, just like, recognizing it as a thing that could happen right. in society. Yeah. But to like him personally, it means nothing. Mm-hmm. He's just another person. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that probably it could be said that they were a little bit more progressive than we were, okay. at least, you know, year by year. Yeah. Well, their interaction was kind of cool just because it, it are, I think... Seeing um, them finally come together. Yeah, definitely. You know, one thing. Yeah, and then just Arthur was full force, like... You're t- you're gonna take my money and do this thing, <laughs> you know. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna. He wants him to go get his eyes checked. Right, that's what it is. They go to the the Oculus store, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool word. And um, get his eyes checked. That'll that'll basically to get a be diagnosis and, enough, yeah. I would think. And then um, and he's like adamant about getting the money as being part of the uh, yeah. The he deal. wants reparations, not he, just thank you, reparations. Uh, like an exoneration. Yeah, because then it'll show that the town like that him serving the three years was unjust and that's him getting repaired. <laughs> Repar- what is yeah. that? The short word? Reparation. Reparated. Yeah. <laughs> he's getting his, he's getting his compensation for having to do uh, time unjustly. That, right. Yeah. Serving time, you know, and and the way that he explains it is sort of like if they pronounce you innocent and get you back on the roll and you can be a solicitor, then the country will know that you are innocent. Mm-hmm. If the country has to pay you, or if the government and the home office have to pay you money, then everybody in the country, italics, knows you're innocent. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah, exactly. And that was just like interesting because like it definitely they both made a point too about how like Arthur d- doesn't need money, so it wasn't really about the money for him at all, mm-hmm. and it was just about. It almost seemed like his Arthur just project. truly believes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wants to, like we mentioned earlier, wants to throw himself into something. Mm-hmm. Certainly, something that he believes in. He truly believes in all this. Yeah, he wants to do. Or justice. not even like at the end of the conversation, like he says, he doesn't believe. He he says, "I don't think you're innocent. I don't believe you're innocent. I know you're innocent." <laughs> and so he's got like a hundred percent conviction on this, and um, he he says things like, "I'm gonna make some noise." Yeah, English don't like noise and <laughs> stuff like that. And you know, English he's just don't like, like noise. he's ready to stir it up and make everything right for George. He almost seems to have taken it personally to a degree. Yeah, um, which for the way he wants to go about it, I guess it's good because mm-hmm. it makes him have like even if it's a made up dog, a dog in the race. It definitely gives George more faith in Arthur. I feel like I don't know if that was necessarily. It might not have been what he expected, but it was definitely yeah. like he, he was just like, okay, wow, like because mm-hmm. he kind of was like, no, it's not about the money. He's like, no, I know it's not about the money in your pocket. It's about the money in the story, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's just like okay, there's just he was in it to like clear his name and help him. Out. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it was just cool. It seemed like it almost seemed like he got nothing out of it, yeah, because he got 
I'm sure we're about to talk about it now, um, but he starts to almost get mocked when he takes on the case, you know? A little bit, yeah. There's, um, at the very least, there's one person that outright makes fun of him to him, and that's yeah, Captain Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> there's Captain Nancy. So they, they part. George tells him to go talk with, with Harry Charlesworth, one of the kids that he went to school with. He was the other smart kid, mm. the one that didn't pick on him. But they weren't friends. He was just yeah, the other smart he, kid. He was just like, okay, whatever. To be with him yeah, he would make him up as a friend whenever like his aunt would ask him, do you have any friends at school? But he says, you can talk to Harry Charlesworth as like a contact in Wirely. He's a good enough fellow. And if anybody may be on my side or willing to at least give information, it would be him. Okay. So Arthur goes and starts preparing for his expedition he sends his assistant slash secretary slash caddy slash anything really uh, would to Wirely ahead of him to do some scouting and have mm-hmm. some information for whenever he arrives. And then he himself does a shit ton of research on the area. Yeah. He like looks up like any, anything that you can imagine, whether it matters or not to what he's going there for. He knows it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just obsessive about it. Which is pretty impressive without Google. Right? Yeah. I don't even know He just go through public start. records. He had to start reading all the newspapers or what? Like, ugh. Well, you probably, I mean, I imagine. I'm sure you're really good at skimming newspapers in, in that time. Right. Like you read one every morning. Like, but. And imagine Sir Arthur Conan Doyle doesn't have to go to the public library. I'm sure he can request those things to be brought to him. Oh, I bet he does but, have a lot of things. Like, yeah. <laughs> much a little mice around but he would be able to go through public record and see different because he he knows who the station master is there and that he inherited the position from his father who was the station master just go through the court cases you know he because he's going to go through the court cases all the investigative reports it's all public record right yeah um, so he just acquires all of that somewhere and he pours through all of it Mm -hmm. um for whatever does or doesn't matter i guess his idea is that we'll just read everything and if it comes up then i know it if it doesn't come up you know whatever i Um, I feel like it kind of helps too that he's a literal doctor like he knows medicine yeah he was able to diagnose the nearsightedness i mean i don't know if everybody knew about that back then if uh i mean obviously ben franklin or whatever made bifocals so they knew about Glasses way before that, but, right? Uh, yeah, but necessary. Yeah, it being maybe common practice, sort of. The way that George, because they in part of their conversation whenever they first meet, he talks about mm-hmm. it. He's like, "Yeah, I mean, I was determined to have bad eyesight early on. Mm-hmm. The Oculus said it wasn't a good idea for kids to use it as a crutch to develop a bit more and then get it later. But then whenever I became old enough to start to get it, I was too busy with school and becoming a solicitor." And then I got even busier with all of this shit. <laughs> yeah. And now I just don't want to, I don't care. I just forget. <laughs> yeah. So he probably would have had glasses sooner had For he sure. not been more preoccupied with other things. And he probably just didn't even care to begin with. He had yeah. gotten by prior to. Yeah, he got So why by. worry about spending money on something that he evidently didn't need? And maybe once he gets glasses, he'll be like, oh shit. <laughs> got <laughs> this game changer. Way yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah. And so he, Goes to Wiley, stops by Jean's first to go talk to her and be like, hey, I'm going to take up this, I'm taking up this thing. Tells her all about it. She's actually like interested in it or whatever. She has like a bit of an internal dialogue. I don't know how much of that section you might have had. I don't think I really had much, but so okay. there's It's just a short thing where she decides that she's going to be like a proactive wife. Oh, well, I got a little married. bit, like a little 
bit of a letter from... That's later. Oh, okay. Then never uh, mind. Never mind. Yeah, but it's just... She decides that she's going to be like a proactive wife cool. with him. Yeah. Like she's going to go anywhere that he goes. She's not just going to be like the enabler. Just be like, okay, yeah. Uh, have fun doing this investigation or whatever yeah, you know and just like holding down the household yeah. she's going to be there that's awesome and so she that's just like the way that she, that's the kind of wife she wants to be or whatever and so she just kind of resolves that i think i might have gotten enough of that from the later section because all that does sound familiar mm-hmm. but i don't know if i necessarily got the internal maybe it gets then. restructured for you a little bit yeah um, but that yeah no I, I do get a sense of that if not just it spelled mm-hmm. out so that's, that's more or less all it is yeah it's a, a in a in a bit more words than that mm-hmm. but you know whatever and so then he continues on to go to Wiley. They get there and then they go to the vicarage to meet George's uh, family. Yeah. And they talk with them a bit. Yeah, that that was, uh, I feel like, probably just a bit of evidence that really convinced him for some reason because the, the whole family. He gets it, totally sold on them. Yeah. He's totally like, man, these are like great people. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and either they were all lying about seeing Harris to protect their family, like their, mm-hmm. you know, their son, their son and brother or whatever, or, um, it, you know, the police yeah. are just gung ho to get someone. Yeah. That so, becomes like one of the points that he yeah. gets kind of, that are like, that's with, a focus of his investigation. Yeah, and is, then with the delay about the and getting the and, coat to the autopsy, the doctor, mm-hmm. the autopsy, what do you call him? Uh, the, it's a forensics thing. The forensic guy. Yeah. <laughs> like the back then they didn't call him that. They just called him a uh, like a, a police surgeon or something like gotcha. that. But yeah, it took him but, a while to take it to the lab yeah. or whatever to, to, to look at it. Yeah, she finds that out whenever he talks to Dr. Butter. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he... Gets all the letters from George's family that they've been collecting. Mm-hmm. You know, they go over a couple of things while they're there. They point him in the direction of Brooks, which is the ironmonger who had also been getting harassed mm. uh, the first time that they were getting harassed. Uh, but he didn't really care. He didn't like report it to the police or anything. It's just like, it's just a fucking prank. Like, I don't care. I'm just going to ignore yeah. it. And uh, so the next day they go talk to him. And he's like, yeah, I mean, here's these letters. I don't think it's anything, whatever. And then uh, if you want to find out anything additional that might have to do with at least our part in it, you can go talk to my son. Because mm-hmm. uh, he had, and this is something that got touched on earlier in the book whenever everything was happening, but his son and another boy had at one point gotten into a bit of a fight with some other boy named speck oh because uh, speck had broken a carriage window on the train <laughs> yeah, and, they were, yeah. and tried to blame them mm-hmm. and they were like nah dude it was him whenever they were talking to like the station master or whoever and then ended up all three of them just got like a warning because they were like we can't determine what the fuck's going on who cares <laughs> yeah um and then in some of the harassment and one of or one of the like ads taken out in the paper in their name where like they apologized for the girl that they fired um there was also in that same one if i remember you know correctly or it's a different one or whatever but there was an apology from brooks and win his friend uh for having um tried to slander speck for you know the argument or whatever happened mm-hmm. and blah, blah blah so there's evidently somebody like we had already speculated that's out for revenge to some degree that is a part of this harassment thing uh who you know or at the very least is going under the guise of having revenge for the girl Mm -hmm. and then 
on Spec's behalf or whatever. Um, at the very least, those are two obvious things that somebody just in passing could be like, oh yeah, they fired that one girl, fuck them. Or they accused that one boy of doing this thing, fuck them. Yeah. You know, like it's a, it's an easy sort of mask to put on yeah. at the very least. Uh, so then they go talk to Brooks's son, who's now like an adult and lives in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have a whole lot of information either. It says, uh, it gives them greater details on the spec thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that... Yeah, uh, like the, why they call them spec, right? No. No? Nobody knows anything about that. Oh. Uh, Something else that I was thinking about that. Prior to all of that, actually, they go see Harry Charlesworth, the person that George told them to go see. Mm-hmm. Uh, his classmate, who was also the other clever one. Yeah. And they really, just out of him, they get sort of like his point of view on everything. Harry's like, there's no way George did that shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> not anything near like the George that I grew up with. And Yeah, like, no, there's no way he would do that. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, I mean. He has the angle of, because now... He, he didn't, like, leave the town to go get, like, a more professional job despite being smart. He inherited his father's dairy uh, farm. Does he... And so his angle is, like, he'd have to, you'd have to be really good with animals. You don't just good. walk up to a horse and be like, yo, I'm going to cut you and then cut I was it. About to, I was about to say <laughs> that, but I wasn't 100% sure if that was, like, I heard that at the right point or not. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's like, the one of the biggest things is, like, you got to be good with animals. Mm-hmm. And you got to coax them for a little while right. or whatever, you know. Which and, is something that was already, at least in the book, given because there was yeah, a yeah. section that was just the shadow figure taking forever to get to the horse and calming the horse and then doing so. Mm-hmm. So we know that that was the method being used, but now we've got somebody being like, there's no fucking way George could do that. If George sat down to milk one of my cows, he would have gotten kicked before he even like entered right. the room, basically, yeah. you know. God, how do you even slit a horse that good without getting fucking mauled? Yeah, I don't know. That's so hard. <laughs> Damn. You have to be good enough with the animal to get it to trust you. To get under it and get and one then, big <laughs> Yeah, and big then just slice. real quick, uh, they still haven't determined the weapon that was used. Yeah. But they keep, you know, conjecturing that it's some sort of rounded blade with concave like sides. So that sounds like leather working tools, which yeah, are, saying. you know, those are like, <laughs> so those are like, you know, super crazy sharp mm-hmm. and he doesn't gut them. He just cuts them enough that they bleed a lot and then mm-hmm. have to be put down. You know, he probably cuts some of the muscle in the process because it's, you know, you know, a huge, not huge, but it's a really sharp knife. Mm-hmm. He seems to just slice them as quickly as he can just like up the chest or something like that and then be gone that's all the damage he had to do now the horse is bleeding out for hours at night and nobody can see it so it's gonna die (laughs) or be put into a state that it would have to be put down Mm -hmm. so i guess that's how they do it (laughs) that's how i imagine i would approach it if that was going to be my goal right yeah yeah how would i do that i guess i would probably yeah no i'd probably i feel like a hook would be pretty good no, because I'd have to hook it in first. No, I'd probably just get... You have to be really fucking strong for a yeah, hook. <laughs> no, I, yeah, and, and I, anything too small would get stuck and left in the horse. It'd have to be like razor sharp, really long. Yeah. Maybe a razor blade, like that guy said, since it's so sharp. Well, the thing about a rounded blade is that it's not going to get caught. That would be good. Like an Ulu knife. If I got an Ulu knife, that would work pretty good. Mm-hmm. Probably Ulu that guy. Yeah. Ulu the horse. Say Ulu one more time. Ulu. <laughs> <laughs> Ulu. Yeah, that would be the hardest, one of the hardest, least 
f- least fulfilling crimes to ever commit <laughs> to just slice up a horse. <laughs> right. It's like it serves no purpose. You feel you feel awful at the end of it. And <laughs> it's one of those things that like you. It's just hard to imagine what's the goal, what's the purpose, yeah. what's the reward. Right. But there are crazy people. Right. For sure. So. And yeah. <laughs> some crazy person has some sort of crazy reward mm-hmm. out of that, and then presumably. If they're involved in the campaign against the Edelgees, mm-hmm. then it's a reason to frame. Yeah. So that's also something that they may be considering if they're less crazy than we might initially think they are. Peter. Yeah. Shut up, dude. But so yeah, they they're interacting with Harry. Harry's mm-hmm. given them, you know, his side of the story, his opinion, yeah, uh, as much information as he can, uh, because he's not against George, no, and it's no. a good distraction from the dairy farm, which he seems to sort of resent that that ended up being his lot he in life. Stuck with, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he, seemed, he was the smart kid. He seemed to resent it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he's like, man, I was smart. I could have done more, but yeah, here his I am. His dad probably didn't even need to read. You know, his dad right, yeah. read and he ran a freaking successful dairy, you know, and then the right. son goes off and is all super smart and then gets back and has to run a dairy. <laughs> right. But, and um, so one of the other things that they do is they go follow the path mm-hmm. that George is alleged to have taken from the vicarage to the colliery right. and then back. And it's daytime. They clock it at like 18 and a half minutes for them to do it. They have to like climb a couple of fences, cross a paddock or two, go like under, like in a sort of like under, not fully underground tunnel, but like something that takes them under a road or a stream or something like that. I can't imagine them doing that in anything other than just like suits and vests and stuff, you know? Yeah. Just like super fancy, like top hats. It's almost certainly what they're wearing. Um, uh, uh, oh, I'm gonna get dirt right. all over my nice knickers. I don't know which. I think about that all the time. Like right. people who dressed really nicely back then, mm-hmm. just the world was dirty. Oh, if you're just yeah, walking dude. down the street, it's probably just if it's cobblestone, you're lucky. You know, mm-hmm. it's probably dirt and mud. Yeah, and then there's depending on what part of town you may or may not be walking through, there's shit on the streets. <laughs> Literal so, shit yeah. on the streets. So people were probably just getting their nice clothes dirty all, all the, the time. time. At least just their pants and their coat, you know? Oh, all the time. Yeah. And so, I don't know, it's just something that I think about, and it's just kind of an interesting to be like, man, their shit was just shitty all the time. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah, literally just covered in... <laughs> like, into... super sucks. Yeah. You probably I, have, uh... like, one or two, if you have the money to, really nice suits... That you mm-hmm. only wear when you're going to get right into a carriage, exit the carriage at the ball, mm-hmm. and that's it. Like, it never has a chance to get dirty. Like us, you know, at Everything else, stuff, we put in our suit bags. That right, take, yeah, you know, exactly. To fly and we they probably treat, like, their day suits in the same way that we treat, like, jeans and a t-shirt. Like, yeah. eh, if I spill coffee on it, sucks, but whatever. I'm getting it to this point where I've worn my work clothes, my kind of nice dress pants, and my nice, like, button-down shirts Mm -hmm. so much, and I have so many of them that I've worn for, like, two years now, that I'm getting to the point where it's like, I would wear this shirt to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I'll look kind of okay doing it. You know, it's like, relatively nice shirts. It's kind of cool. Like, I'm, uh, and also, like, just, they're kind of bigger, too, so it's like, Gives a little bit more movement. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, am way too vain and particular in the purpose of different things that I mm-hmm. own to do something like that. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, it's it, my nice clothes are for going out and doing whatever, and then if I'm not particular, I have 
like three drawers of shirts, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And each of those drawers are an organization of purpose. <laughs> where like one of the the top drawer is like kind of like daily t-shirts that are for show yeah. or whatever, you know. The second drawer is just comfortable shirts that I wear mm-hmm. around the house because they're like loose or really soft or whatever. Yeah. And then the third drawer are work shirts that mm-hmm. I wear if I'm doing something outside or something like that. Yeah. And they never shall they cross. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have like basically just like work clothes like mm-hmm. that I wear to go to work. So like button downs and yeah. nice, relatively nice jeans and, 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 uh, and dress pants or right. whatever. Like I guess if you get a bit, dickies, you know, some of your clothing nice can clothes. cross over a little bit more than mine because yeah, mine, I have a uniform. I was going to say mine always, <laughs> yeah, like mine always crosses over. It just kind of got to the point where like it, I would get off work and, and I couldn't let my like outfit or whatever like slowed me down i guess like yeah I just like all right i gotta get under my truck or whatever and and, if and then really when you have it, enough of them then it's not like you can only have these four that need to be worn for your shifts yeah. that week and then wash well also my yeah. job was pretty like i would get dirty i'd get all over the ground and stuff so after a certain right point, so yeah. getting dirty and the clothes just became normal yeah anyway enough about that so they're, they're going through <laughs> the uh they go yeah they go down the path the trail, that evidently he had to have paid yeah yeah and they're like that was 18 and a half minutes In and we daylight. are fit people in the daylight, we all have excellent eyesight. There's no way George could have done this at night, gotten here, done the deed, and back in an hour. Mm-hmm. And so that's you know just another thing that With they're his, they've investigated. Yeah, because yeah, he's got bad eyesight. He's not described as being in any sort of shape, um, aside from just a man that walks mm-hmm. to like work <laughs> yeah, or yeah. walks to the station and then whatever. Yeah. So that's, you know, just another kind of like coin in Arthur's purse of investigation. After that is when they go talk to Brooks and, mm-hmm. you know, which we've already been over and then Brooks's kid. And then so he's now got at the very least all the beginnings of his investigation and the points that mm-hmm. he is going to look into next. Yeah, his, his highlighted items. Yeah. Now that he's got a greater picture of the story, he's got bullet points that mm-hmm. are still questions or they're going to be his avenues of attack. Yeah. Because uh, he does see it as a full-on attack that he's mm-hmm. doing. These uh, bullet points are... First, in, in, in two sections. First is the trial. Second is the culprit. Because not only is he going to exonerate George, but he's going to find who's at fault for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, in regards to the trial... He's got questions about Yelverton, or at least Yelverton's process and everything that he was... Yelverton was the attorney that took over after George was incarcerated mm-hmm. and was making pushes for a re-examination and all that sort of stuff. So he, at, at least as a bullet point, he's like, I need to go through all the resources that he was using and be, you know, add to them and this and that. Mm-hmm. Uh, wants to talk to Dr. Butter and his opinion on you know what exactly it was with the hairs that were found. Uh, He's got questions about the letters, and specifically about the letters in regards to the trial. Gurin, who was mm-hmm. the handwriting expert. That guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got questions about George's eyesight, and it, you know his eyesight's play into everything. Right. Because uh, while he knows that George has terrible eyesight, he doesn't know the extent to which they are terrible. Mm-hmm. He's still waiting on that uh, prescription to come back from the doctor he referred him to. Yeah. That seems to be the big, the big leaner. Yeah, that's like his main point right now. That's mm-hmm. like his, his main argument is like this motherfucker can't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> no way. Uh, and then and ahead. then he's also got questions about 
Harry Green, um, who was the guy who cut one a, a horse while George was on trial, mm-hmm. and then immediately yeah, admitted yeah. to having done it himself or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't remember if we talked about it during the notes or during this, but that was something that Harry Charlesworth mentioned. Uh, because Arthur and Wood ask him, like, so what about this green dude? We want to find him and talk to him, too, if we can. And he's like, oh, that motherfucker got sent to South Africa. Yeah, he left. <laughs> Somebody that nobody knows or nobody has said who it was got him a one-way ticket to South Africa after he had gone back on that confession. Sounds like a one-way trip to South Africa. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No, I don't think it was that. If this was a TV, if this was 24, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But so evidently Harry goes back on that uh, confession, at least to the town and sort of publicly, and the police shut him up about it. Mm-hmm. And then we assume uh, then send him to South Africa. So like, here's, <laughs> you know, a ship ticket. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's got questions about that. What the hell happened yeah, there? Well, yeah. And uh, and then as well as Anson and his just general role in all of this. In regards to the culprit, he's got questions regarding the letters, you know, the psychopathy of it, uh, what any of it sort of means. Are there multiple people writing? Mm -hmm. Are the people writing the same as the cutters? Uh, Are they just overlapping in a way? Which is all stuff that we speculated on. He's got questions about the animals in general, uh, the murder weapon that was used, which we were just talking about. Yeah. The gap in between the harassment that was happening. It was like a seven-year gap. Questions about Walsall School and all the boys that went there. One of them being uh, William Gradorix, who was called as a witness, who had evidently or was implied as having written one of the letters, but they they determined that he hadn't or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like he's a little suspect anyways. Yeah. And then uh, he's also got questions about all of the maimings. Um. I assume he wants to just try to tie them all together in a way or at least find through lines in them. Yeah. To, in the same way that he wants to find through lines in the letters to try and help him find the culprit. Because right. that's the second part of his plan is to find the actual culprit. Uh, we, after that, he they, they go back to Undershaw, uh, having finished their first part of the investigation. And George's uh, diagnosis comes from the doctor. And... It's in a different way than they write actual prescriptions these days, I think, or at least the lettering that they use in it in the mm-hmm. book looks different than what I could find out and what mine looks like. Yeah. Uh, and Arthur's like, holy shit, this dude's eyes are fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I was right. This is it. Yeah. We got it. This is what everything hinges on. This is going to be great. Yeah. Um, and then he just continues researching. He spends <laughs> like days reading all the letters. Nice. And finding all the connections that he can. Did it talk? Did you get a lot of that in the? Not at all. Oh man, that was probably some of the, my favorite part was him pouring through the letters, and it wasn't like pages and pages and pages, but it talks about him having. You know, he goes through all the letters, mm-hmm. his sort of mindset in going through all the letters, and then ultimately him determining that it's likely three different authors. Uh, there's one who signs himself as God. Or God mm-hmm. Satan. And then there's one who is just like outright insane in their religious fervor. And then there's another one who's just vulgar for vulgar's sake almost. Okay. 
And those three personalities seem to exist and, or at least present themselves to him as he reads everything and tries to connect them. He, through whatever other means of deduction that aren't presented, decides that maybe they're three brothers, or at least that's the most likely of the scenarios mm-hmm. that he's decided on. They probably live together so that they can be in on it together. Mm-hmm. And in his opinion, probably don't live too far away from George yeah. or the vicarage rather. Um, so then he's trying to figure out, well, where would that be? Would that be like an orphanage or like a boarding school? None of those things sort of exist around in the range that he's set. He sets like a two mile radius. Mm-hmm. And then he also talks about, or he thinks about how some of the letters are extremely long. And so the person must have had nothing but time on their hands. Yeah. So maybe it's a household of what he calls idlers which is probably a term back then, but I assume it's people who are like unemployed and yeah. have no purpose <laughs> and you know, no drive to I do least. anything, you know? <laughs> uh, so I found that part really interesting at least. Yeah, that is interesting. Maybe if only for that's the part that I've been fixated on is mm-hmm. who is the author of all of this yeah, that's... and me thinking that it's got to all be the same person mm-hmm. or if it is a gang, then they are related and they're in this together, you know? Yeah. Um, at least that's what I've been theorizing on this whole time. So I really like this section. Yeah, no, I like the guess that it's three brothers. It seems like it could be super likely. Mm-hmm. He also comes across a, uh, at, at the very least, a temporary answer to the question of the gap in harassment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's sort of, if it actually happened this way or if there's some embellishment either on Arthur's and real life Arthur Conan Doyle because you know he retold this thing. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote a book about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so either it was like, you know, slight embellishment on his part or maybe on Julian Barnes's part or whoever's. But there's a part where he's sounding off of Woody saying like, here's some things that I have some problems on. What do you think? And Woody just kind of gives him the obvious answer. And one of them, when he asks, like, well, what about this gap in harassment? Woody's like, maybe they weren't there. And so they couldn't harass him. Where would they have gone? Well, maybe he was overseas. You know, I don't fucking know. Yeah. And so, and then Arthur finds some sort of through line about mentioning of being sent overseas by one of the writers. He says, like, I don't think they'd hang me for this, but they might just send me overseas. And then the last letter is about or the last form of harassment is the ad being taken out about the vicarage selling everything at the blackpool market Mm -hmm. which is the leisure town of liverpool which is a major port so (laughs) see and then evidently the first letter that starts the harassment again later on also has some sort of through line about seas Mm -hmm. and being overseas or seafaring life or whatever so arthur's like and and you had it right on the head woody Saying he went overseas, look at all this. This has look gotta be it, this. you know. So it's a little, you know, a little Holmesian in a yeah. way. Um, in the way that it gets that it plays out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and maybe that's just why those sorts of moments in novels and stories is great, is because sometimes life does play out that way. Oh yeah. That's exactly <laughs> maybe that's part of why that sort of moment is great. Um, so that's all that he kind of gathers from the letters and he comes mm-hmm. to hopefully some pretty solid deductions and ideas so he starts writing all these letters uh, to the other people that he wants to talk to he writes letters to the headmaster of walsall Mm -hmm. he writes a letter to uh, captain anson to dr butter and to the home office secretary Uh, all for different purposes how much of this did you get 
I got some of that. Okay. As you were talking about it, it kind of made sense. I don't remember the why he wrote all those letters, but I do remember him contacting Because contact those are like him. the next people that he wants to yeah. talk to to get more information. Yeah. Now that he's got more opinions as well. Mm-hmm. I got the, and I also got the parts where he was with his Watson or whatever Woods. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it even had like an internal like dialogue with, with him where he was like, well, if Watson got that sort of co- uh, comment, he would have taken it as yeah. a compliment. But it's like, it almost seemed like, but I don't. <laughs> right, yeah. He's like sort of aware that his, that maybe even the Watson character is Arthur's reflection of Wood. Oh, yeah. And so he's sort of like, God, this character is supposed to be me. He really makes me feel like him sometimes, but whatever. Like, he kind of goes with it. Mm -hmm. There is further, there's like a whole, like, three paragraphs of him thinking internally Mm -hmm. or whatever in the book. And part of it does say that he doesn't mind it at all. doesn't mean anything. He's, like, utterly loyal to him. Uh, If it doesn't just, you know, kind of, like, irk him a little bit now and then to be treated mm-hmm. like you know to be a goofball and the number two of the you know like the right and um side character so he gets responses on all the letters um the uh well i guess actually prior to that sort of unsolicited and it'll be interesting to find out how it happened but arthur gets a letter from the culprit and it says, yeah, he did. Yeah, I remember that. It says something, you know, like, there's no point in what you're doing. Don't worry about it. Is we know that George did it, mm-hmm. and we know that it's not going to change. And then, but then, what sort of, at least, you know, in my overanalyzation of it, what makes them almost sound desperate in the letter is that they also then call out the previous headmaster of Walsall School, and they sort of. De- because it's like in two parts the letter that they, he gets from them. Mm-hmm. The first part is saying it's almost sort of professional in a way. It's like, you know, dear, honored sir, uh, don't worry about doing anything about Arthur. We know that he did it and that nobody's going to believe that he didn't because he's an odd sort. And then immediately they sort of change attitude and they're like, also, no one ever got any fucking education at Walsall while Headmaster blah, blah, blah was there. Mm-hmm. That swine. That he got swine. the bullet after some letters were sent to the, you know, the whoever is above him. Ha ha. So it's like immediately they become unprofessional and almost mm-hmm. defensive. Yeah. And so it's just, it's an interesting thing to read into at least. For, <laughs> it might mean sure. nothing, but no. that's the impression that I yeah, get. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's interesting It'll, if it comes out. How did they know that, one, he was already thinking about the whole Walsall angle and what that means, Mm -hmm. and specifically uh, what the previous headmaster's curriculum had to do with anything? Um, And then, two, that he's even involved at all, aside from just literally having gone to Wyerley and probably stood out. I mean, people Mm -hmm. who know who he is. But then after that, he gets letters back from everybody. The current headmaster of Wyerley is like, no, uh, the previous headmaster served with great distinction, <laughs> was not dismissed, yeah, and it would be ridiculous for anybody to say otherwise, which could be a cover-up, who knows. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. The secretary of the home office is like, I'm not reopening that fucking case, dude. Mm-hmm. And uh, Captain Anson just says, I will be greatly interested to know what Sherlock Holmes has to say about yeah, a case that, in real I do life. Yeah, because it was, yeah, was kind of mocking yeah, for sure. Totally just like mocks him and calls him out. He's like, You've got no place doing this. Don't bother yeah, us. Who do you think you are? Um, which is, 
such a common like local police thing to do to be like don't get in our fucking business you what don't makes, know anything about yeah, this town you know which i sort of get in a way yeah i get that they're like in the industry you know that so they they see more cases they've probably gone to classes and learned about different mm-hmm. trends and things but but even like the defense of your own too. you know organization and your, and job, your town and your and yeah i get it yeah i get it never mind that's something that happens in a lot of shows where the heroes work for like the fbi or the mm-hmm. cia or something uh happens almost every episode in the x-files where they show up to some you know town in middle america and they're like we know that y'all now have jurisdiction because of this federal crime but Stay the fuck out of our business. This is, you know, <laughs> our town's business and we're going to handle it. This you know, that FBI sort of thing. jurisdiction now. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> there is often that moment where, like, the thing happens that makes it a federal crime and then Mulder's like, well, now it's my jurisdiction. Yeah. So, aliens. Mulder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who's in charge here? And then lastly, he gets a letter from Dr. Butter and Dr. Butter's like, yeah, I'll talk with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, they go to talk. Did you have more or less the whole conversation in the audiobook or um, just kind of like the finer he, points of when yeah when he meets with butter yeah i uh yeah definitely they talk about like um it was cool because like uh it's arthur arthur was like asking about all the different talking points of like why he would be there and like mm-hmm. um how come he didn't have like more blood on him and uh and he's like well i mean he could have worn an apron you know <laughs> right and just use that and it's like there's no evidence of an apron and he's like I'm not, I'm not a detective. I was just saying there could have been an apron, could have had one of his posse do it. There was another argument that there was a, that there it was, there was a gang in town and that um, it could be a gang interaction. So he could have had one of those guys do it, getting very minimal blood on him at all, if any right. at all, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, those are just two possibilities. And he's like, okay, fair enough, fair enough, you know? And then, uh, it, it just seemed like he was, uh, very interested in like how long did it take to get the, the well, that just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, but at least it seemed like not a whole lot came out of this interaction until at the very end where he finds out about the time discrepancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does sort of seem satisfied with all the answers that he gets. I yeah. think he's just sort of using, trying to get uh, clarity on different points to further strengthen the ideas that he already has. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that's the the big thing with the medical like examiner there. Like he... Mm-hmm. I think he was displaying the evidence in a way that either side could use it Mm -hmm. so that it was like, well, you know, this happened because, you know, and he could have worn an apron. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I mean, it seemed like he he gave the evidence in such an unbiased way. And that seems to be his whole goal. Yeah. He he mentions that that he gets frustrated. Mm -hmm. At at some point he gets frustrated with Arthur because Arthur is being sort of like counsel Mm -hmm. and asking some leading questions and trying to get to a point and trying to get Butter to, you know, say something that will, you know, help his point, even though they're just talking, you know, one-on-one. And so Butter gets sort of, like, irritated, and it's like, look, you have to understand, I've been doing this for 20 years. All I've ever done is go there and tell them exactly what it is that I observed as a man of science. I don't really care about what happens either direction, mm-hmm. and people are constantly misinterpreting what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and But Arthur does sort of, like, get him to... Not deviate from that, but give a bit more of his opinion rather than his observation. Be like, well, wouldn't you think that different parts of the animal would have different kinds of hair? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, that as a statement makes sense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so why does George's jacket only have the exact same kinds of hair all over it? And he's like, 
that's not for me to speculate. Yeah, I just... But I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just sort of that sort of stuff. So it's like he's getting confirmation of things that he's coming up with from somebody who he believes to be honest and giving yeah, straightforward answers. Yeah, it seems like he was, he was, at least he was depicted that way. But then at the end there, he's asking questions about when did you get the packaging? Because what he wants to do is get Butter to maybe reveal more information about possible either accidental or intental, intentional uh, contamination of the uh, right. piece of horse and or pony and the jacket. Mm-hmm. And to which Butter is like, when it re- when it came to me, there were separate packages, and there's literally no way that contamination could have happened in my lab. Yeah. And so then, uh, then Arthur's like, okay, well, well, you know, it's such and such and such. They talk a bit more, and then says, well, what time was it that they were delivered? Nine o'clock. And so, and at first, there's some confusion because Arthur thinks it was nine in the morning. He's like, God damn, that was a really quick delivery because it was only it was still like seven forty five when. Um, the invest inspector went and grabbed George from his yeah. office. Mm-hmm. At, but, and then Butter's like, no, 9 p.m. I was really fucking pissed about it because I wanted to go home. Yeah. And so Ugh, the reveal is that yeah. there's a 12, at least a 12 hour window from when the inspector, Inspector Campbell went and got everything from the vicarage mm-hmm. to when they got delivered to Butter's office. So it's a huge window with which tampering could have been done dun, dun, dun. is presumably his next yeah, avenue yeah. of attack and that's all off of you know one of his prior points that he had laid out is how were their hairs on them on there at the trial these uniform hairs mm-hmm. from an animal that has different hairs in different parts of his body when well i was presented to the allergies they swear that there was no hairs on it yeah so either the allergies are perjurers mm-hmm. or there was some sort of incompetence or uh, purposeful tampering of the evidence and therefore fabrication by the police. Yeah, it's one of those. It's 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 those now. Like those are the yeah. only options. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's right there, dude. We're <laughs> it's right there. there. He's we're putting all the clues together. Yeah. We're getting there. Um, and that's everything we read, right? That's that's pretty much it. Arthur then goes back home, writes up a report of everything that he's determined. Oh, he's, he's like has off. like a huge like rush of inspiration, and he spends like two days just writing, writing, mm-hmm. writing. He writes like fifteen thousand words. Yeah, fifteen thousand. That's what it said. And even then, he's like, "This isn't complete. As I learn more, I will refine this and add more." And blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But he sends that off to the Stafford Constabulary, and. Uh, then gets a letter back from Captain Anson again, this time saying, why don't you come to dinner? Wow. And uh, we'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Although still mocking, he's, at the end of the letter, he says something like, let me know if Mr. Holmes needs accommodations as well. Mm. And, uh, and and that's it. Arthur then goes and talks to Gene some because they need to, they're starting to like lay the bricks for their upcoming or soon to be upcoming wedding. Yeah. And they spend a lot of time talking about the spiritism like we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that'll likely be inconsequential to what we're concerned with yeah it's just something just that's there yeah, yeah. Well, so cool, man yeah that was knows. yeah it's, it's coming together i know you know at this point or you have a greater idea than yeah. i do you might not have the full answer yet mm-hmm. but we'll see we'll see <laughs> i'm excited yeah it's uh i'm more excited than i have been for previous parts of this yeah book. yeah this book for sure has been interesting the whole time but maybe not as engaging like we've already said but yeah it's getting real engaging now and it's 
you know, it's all going down. It's all, all going down. Yeah, that's Arthur's energy is infectious. That's a good point. Well, cool. Yeah. So, what are we doing this next week? Finishing the book? We're just gonna finish it. Finish yeah. it out. It's like 120, 125 pages, something like that. Cool. Should be. So, yeah, that's probably about four and a half, five hours of reading, depending on your read speed. Mm-hmm. I think I'm sort of medium, and I expect it to take me four hours. Okay. So. Nice. Yeah, dude. I'm a slow reader for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I used to think I was really fast. People used to tell me I was fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that less than I did back then. <laughs> yeah, some people just read through books and they retain really well. Like, I have to read really slow and I still retain, like, I retain okay, I guess, if I read slower, but mm-hmm. yeah, dude, I can't just be reading really fast. Like, I, I never was good at speed reading or reading quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But, that, yeah, that's a weird skill that yeah. I don't think I want. <laughs> I feel like even if I could acquire that skill, it would then be the only way I could read. Right. For and sure. that would be a bummer, I think. <laughs> Couldn't take your time. Yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah. Like we are. <laughs> right. All right. Well, uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at dog. Uh, oh, sorry. At ears underscore stamps. Yes. Um, Gmail dog ears and timestamps at gmail.com. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Nice. And then uh, follow Will on Instagram. <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram if you want. Yeah. And uh, that's everything. Yeah. We'll see yeah. you all. We'll see y'all next week, and maybe the cat won't be scratching his cat post. I know. Yeah, and also, hopefully, so I get rude. home safe. If y'all heard anything crazy during the recording, there was like a storm blowing. The, yeah, there's the definitely whole time like a we front blowing through. So yeah, we kept. There's like, like an Arctic blast that's just grazing us right now. Ah, we're getting so, the, the, we're getting the, the edge Arctic of it. blast. Yeah. Well, if y'all heard anything, that's what that was. <laughs> so <laughs> right. wish me luck getting home tonight. But uh, we'll uh, talk to y'all next week. And uh, I'll either be in a really good mood or a really bad mood. One because of the book and one because of the Super Bowl. <laughs> we'll find out. But right. Yep, I'm Will Hedrick. And I'm Jordan Schaffer. And this is Dog Ears and Timestamps. Go Pats. <laughs>